Jo. That worship was like eating tiger steaks and drinking gunpowder soup. I just feel like we could sing some more and then go and explode all over where God's got us placed. But it really is a privilege to be here. Um, thank you for coming out tonight. There's just such great things God can do when there's unity amongst churches, trusting Him for broader than just our local. And we know local is important. Uh, by way of introduction, for those who don't know me, I've been married for 20 years. We've got three children. <coughs> Levi's aged 18. He's doing trials at the moment. Uh, Ethan's about to turn 16. He's in grade 10. And then we've got a little girl who's nine years old, Trinity. And uh, her favorite, apart from her mom, who's her favorite person in the world, her hamster Stripey is, I think, her closest friend in the world. So we've, we were speaking yesterday about Stripey, the hamster. But uh, there's a story that I'd like to dive into today that for the last five years has been a story that the Lord has used over and over again to challenge me personally. It, I would have to say over the last five years, if there was one seven-verse block out of the whole Bible that God, the Father has used to like, uh, challenge me with, it's not the only verse, but I've, over and over in my personal times with him, I feel he's bringing me back to this concept, this idea. And it's a story from 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1 to 7, one of the miracles that was performed through Elisha the prophet. So if you have a Bible, you might like to turn there with me, else the verses will be on the screen. It says, the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant... Notice where she puts the emphasis there. Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Twelve years before my dad passed away, my mom passed away. So for 12 years, I observed him living with some of the difficulty that came from loss. But this lady wasn't just suffering the loss of her husband. She is in deep, deep trauma. Within one verse, we get these details about her life. She's lost her husband. He was part of Elisha's prophetic school, it would seem. So like this is a guy who seriously is committed to God. Somehow God allowed him to pass away. So things haven't worked out quite how she hoped. And sadly, he owed money. Now, in those days, in some parts of the world, it's been the practice, which is a terrible thing. But back then, the children of the creditor could be sold as slaves to recoup some of the debt. This mom, therefore, is not just facing the loss of her husband to death. She's facing the loss of her two sons to be sold as slaves. We had a a lady in our life group a few years ago that the story reminds me of her husband passed away and she had two uh, young adult children. One of them murdered his girlfriend and was locked away in prison for a number of years and she joined our life group not because she was seeking Christ but because she was so desperate not to be by herself in her house every Thursday night. And watching her process some of this anguish and pain, this mom was desperate. And she's pointing the finger a little bit. You can read that into her words at Elisha's. Your servant. 
Now listen to this next part of the story. It says, Elisha replied, how can I help you? <clears throat> I think the answer is pretty clear from what she originally said. I, I think what she was hoping he would say is, how much do you need? Right? She's just told him, I have financial debt. My sons are about to be sold as slaves. And Elisha, with all this care and empathy that he carries prophetically, says, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? And she says, your servant has nothing there at all except a small jar of olive oil. Uh, I don't know that the jar looked like this, but let's let this represent the oil that she has in her house. Elisha says to her, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left them, shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told Elisha, the man of God, and he said, go and sell the oil, pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. The story is about that long in the Bible, but this is a profound story for this lady. It's been a profound story for me. And I believe what God wants to do in our hearts tonight is help us fight against the small-mindedness that so naturally encroaches on our souls. Let's dive, let's use our imaginations a little to dive into the story. It's interesting to me that what Elisha gives her is not money, but it's a God plan. Okay? So what she thinks she needs is not actually what she needs. Very often when we go before God and we're in desperate times, we think we need ABC, but God says, no, actually the plan is DEF. I said, well, God, I mean, it was simple. I just needed money to pay the debt. And he says, no, go and borrow oil jars. I mean, it, they seem pretty unrelated. But what he is doing, what God is doing in this lady's life is he is growing her faith as well as ultimately paying off the debt. We read the debt gets paid off, but God is growing her faith. Now, she's got something she has to go and do, and it feels, it must have felt really awkward and crazy, Okay. Imagine you are this widow now. You have this weird conversation with Elisha about your no food and a little bit of oil. And he says to you, okay, here's the God plan. You go and borrow jars. I don't know what size town she lived in, but I'm just imagining her going to her next door neighbor. And that lady opens the door and she says, oh, sorry, how are you doing? Sorry that you lost your husband. Thank you. I've got a small favor to ask. Do you have any oil jars? Now, they probably knew that she wasn't that flush. She's in debt, etc. It's like, well, what for? Ah, Elisha said I need to go and borrow oil jars. And then maybe the husband's sitting on the couch, and he's like, honey, who is it? She's like, it's a lady from next door. <laughs> what does she want? She's collecting oil jars. You know, some people, like under high stress, mentally lose it and collect stuff, and... <laughs> And maybe they're just like out of compassion. Well, like, 
yeah, I'll help you carry some oil jars. And they take it back. And that evening over dinner, imagine that conversation. Like, what the heck does she want oil jars for? And this lady goes and it says she didn't borrow just a few. So she must have had a few conversations. And here's the thing. Every conversation is an act of faith and courage. Or to put it another way, every empty oil jar accumulating in her house is an act of faith and courage in and of itself. She has to step out in faith and courage, and, and maybe she walks down the rows, the, that row of houses, then she starts on the next row, the next road down, and the people there don't know her so well. She's like, hi, I'm so-and-so from, and my husband just passed away, and I'm looking for oil jars. Oil jars. Yeah, just some empty oil jars. I'll bring them back. What for? Prophet said, can you, can you feel the awkwardness? In this conversation, in all these conversations, but she is borrowing these oil jars as an act of faith and courage in spite of her desperation. She had a choice to make. She could have just gone back, sat on the couch, and given up. But she acts with faith and courage to borrow the oil jars. Now comes the moment of truth. It says she shuts the door behind her and her sons. Imagine being one of those three, right? And maybe she organizes the boys and says, okay, your job is bring the first oil jar. And the boy picks it up. Don't drop it because I don't have the money to replace it. And he carefully puts it on the table. And she takes the small jar of oil that they've got. And I'm guessing if I was that boy, I would have been like, what's meant to be happening? She says, I don't know, but the prophet said, and she pours and pours and pours until that clay jar is full. And then I would guess they all look back and there's still oil in this jar. Wow. I, I'm sure there was high five. Like, come on. I mean, this is a literal miracle of multiplication of oil atoms, right? Can you believe it? Now we've got a jar. And a big jar. And so maybe the other son carefully carries it, careful not to spill any drops, and he puts it down this side of the lounge. And then the other son brings the next empty jar, and they all look forward. Is it going to happen again? And it pours and it pours, and this jar fills up. And there's still oil in that jar. And they're high-fiving again, and then they start to expect the miracle because now it's part of the flow. So... That jar goes, and maybe there was some, you know, maybe she had some uh, organizational skills, and so this assembly line starts to work, and that jar goes, and the next one comes, and she's pouring and pouring, and that boy takes it, and the next boy brings, and it's just going, and the story says, then she says, bring me another one, and her son says to her, there are no empty jars left. Let's pause the video at that point. If you were that lady, I'm putting myself in her sandals now, what do you think you might have thought at that moment? I would have certainly thought I should have asked for more jars. Like however many she had, God filled every single one with oil but here's the profound thing. The oil miracle was not linked to how much she owed. 
it was linked to how many empty jars of faith and courage she had put out. I'm guessing. Now, if she had have known, at the end it wouldn't have required any faith. But if she could have known what would have happened, she would have gone to the town next door and borrowed every single oil, an oil factory with this jug. And what's beautiful about the ending of the story is she goes back to Elisha, she says, like now her tone has changed completely. From angry mama bear that's about to take the prophet down to like, wow, that was incredible. What should I do? And I'd like you to notice what he said in verse 7. He says, go and sell the oil, pay off your debt, and live off the rest. Now, we're not exactly told the amounts here, but it seems like there was enough provision in this oil miracle to not only settle the debt, but to set up annuity income for her to provide what economically she couldn't provide because women were seriously disadvantaged in the economic structure of that day. And God isn't so limited by the economic structure. He's not limited by the debt. He's not limited by that husband, now deceased husband's decisions. The only, this is in inverted commas, the only limitation is the amount of faith and courage of this widow following God's idea and his command. Now, the, the lady next door could have gone and gathered all the same oil jars, but it wasn't God's plan for her. So it was a very specific, unique plan for this lady in this specific situation. And this story, I shared it five years ago at our local church. I felt like the person that needed to hear the story the most was this guy. Because I felt like I'd been on a journey of setting out oil jars of faith and courage and then it's quite exhausting, so you just want to plateau a little bit. Like, just find a... Uh, and I'm busy speaking, but I feel like the Father's pointing the finger at me and saying, we've got more oil jars to set out. I want you to follow me with more faith and more courage. These oil jars of faith and courage, I'll tell you little bits of different stories, but I'm wanting to ask you... In line with the story, what are the oil jars of faith and courage that God's been speaking to you about? Because the way he's designed us to live is not just within the bounds of normal. Where everything one plus one equals two and every ran comes in and goes out. and uh, The Bible celebrates stewardship, all that stuff. But there's a miraculous provision that God wants to do. I'm speaking much more than money, by the way. He wants to grow our faith and our courage so that he can do through us what he wants to do in the world. And there's different challenges that come to different of us at different times. And if we will go with faith and courage, God says, I can extend it, put out some more oil jars. And we're listening to him, we follow him, we do that. During COVID, our oldest son was in grade 10. And he's very extroverted. And he just got more and more down through being at home. Missing his mates at school. He got, like, sad. And so we were chatting and trying to, you know, just trying to encourage him. And Jack said to him the one afternoon, what about starting a life group, home group, connect group, whatever your church calls them, and just gather some of your mates around? So he sets out a little oil jar. And invited a few guys, five I think, but they were very uncommitted. And so six weeks later, 
I noticed at the, at the time on a Sunday afternoon when he did his life group, he was doing nothing, sitting, you know, because they were doing it via Zoom. And he was sitting outside. So I went and chatted. He said, no, nah, he's closed his group down. But did you tell anybody? He said, no, nah, they weren't coming anyways. But uh, like. <clears throat> so then we had a little bit of a chat, and he went and prayed about it. Because I asked him the question, like, did God tell you to start it? He said, I think so. So I said, so did God tell you to st- stop it? I said, no, he hasn't asked God, but it's clear, you know. It's, <laughs> nobody's coming. So then I said, well, why don't, you, why don't you just pray about it? And there's no pressure, but you seem to really, you seem like you've got a leadership gift. So he does, he prays about it, and he comes back with this idea. I should have boys and girls in my group. Because <clears throat> the girls are committed, and they arrive on time, and they're like, and within a couple of months, this empty oil jar of one boy, well, with his brother, who's a great wingman, putting out a series of invites. This group goes to th- grows to 30 or 40 teens. Their mates, people. They, Levi's mom got into trouble, actually, because she was so excited about this that all her friends were like, hey, you should send your, um, you know, send your son, your daughter, and I'll get Levi to follow them up. Eventually, Levi said to Jacks, mom, please, if you could just, you know, I... I just need to be able to, but 30 or 40 young people, but, and I'm watching my son in an act of faith and courage with discouragement. He closed the group down, keeps going again. In many ways, we could say this, that actually the small jars of faith and courage, it's just pitching up because it gives God opportunity. The fact that you're here tonight means you put out another empty jar of faith and courage and you said, God, please fill me. If you're involved in a midweek group, the very act of pitching up, or if you're leading one, is an act of faith and courage. You're saying, there's the empty oil jar. I don't have what it takes, but God, thank you. You come and fill it. And I'm sure if we were to drill down into many stories of people seated in this room, you'd see the same principle that operated in this widow's life has operated in ours. We just don't always notice or we don't always see it at the time. A little while after I had shared this message, I went on a long leave for five weeks, and in the fifth week, I was um, in Turkey visiting the sites of the seven churches of Revelation with a friend of mine, and on the Tuesday night, I phoned home, and just to find out how things were going, I was exhausted, it was late, and Jackie answers the phone, and we chat a little bit. Now, just some backstory to this, we had two boys. And after Ethan was born, I never wanted a third child. Zero desire. And she always wanted a third child. Ethan, at now at this time, is 13 years old. And for the previous five years, every now and then, Jack says, maybe we should adopt. My reply, well, if God says, we'll do it. But if not, you know, it's got to be in line with God's plan. So this Tuesday night, I phone home and... Jackie says to me, I heard this story this morning of this little girl that's looking for an adoptive family. Maybe we should consider it. But she just, it's, almost, it's a bit of a throwaway line and a joke. I hang up the phone and I'm a little irritated because like, I just phoned home to say, how's it, how are you doing? And <laughs> yeah, thanks. It, you know, but we, we, we're far away from each other. That night when I go to bed, the very last thing that I think about, the last conscious thought, 
is that there's a little girl without a family. I wonder what her story will be, because it won't be us. And I wake up the next morning and my first waking thought is there's a little girl without a family. I wonder what her story will be. And at breakfast time I'm thinking about this little girl. And for the next three days I didn't find home again because we, <laughs> we didn't have um, easy comms. But it was all kind of within God's plan because... Over those three days, my heart shifted from here 180 degrees that by the time I got on the airplane to fly back home to Durban, I felt like the Holy Spirit had told me this is a special assignment and I've selected you. It was a much longer story, but that I felt so privileged to have a chance... I, I wanted to race home just in case there was somebody else who had this idea because it's my assignment. And we get home. I get home that Saturday afternoon, just greet. We have lunch together. And I say to Jax, we need to chat. And I just fill up with tears. I say, I, I feel like God's spoken to me. We need to do something for this little girl. And we go and speak to our boys and they, their eyes just fill up with tears. And both of them say, she can have my bedroom. And so our family becomes an oil jar. Three weeks later, three weeks after that initial phone call, this timid, shy, little six-year-old arrives in this bedroom that's been vacated by my son for her. It's now decked out in pink. And we all sit on the, we'd been given some guidance that we needed to pose it to her as an invitation. And so we're all sitting on the floor and... Ethan, Levi, Jackie, and then me all say, we want you to join our family. Would you be our sister and daughter? And she just nods like, I don't know what else she was going to say, but she said yes. Three years later, this little girl has brought so much joy and so much overflow into our world. Our lives are immeasurably greater. And more fulfilled. But you only realize it when you put out the oil jar. And it hasn't been an easy journey. Lots of different things. But one of the things I always had about having a third child is children cost money, right? <laughs> and uh, so we had spoken about that quite a bit before. But at this, she arrives and suddenly it's like, well, well, let's sell what we need to so that we can afford all these different things. And there's clearly some medical bills that we're going to accrue. And a friend of mine who's in our church comes to visit, he asked to see me the one day, and he says, I, I wish I could do this anonymously, but there's no way of doing it, but my wife and I have it on our hearts that we would like to invest in this little girl's life. For the foreseeable future, as long as it's possible for us, we want to pay every single cent of every medical bill. <clears throat> there's a separate bank account, and he just deposits in there, and... She has had better medical care than any of the rest of us. It's like she sneezes, off we, and she's had just the most amazing, everything she needed has been funded, but that wouldn't have happened 
Put it this way, God didn't give that to us beforehand. It was only after the oil jar. What are the oil jars that God's called you to set out? In the 1850s, in Germany, there was a missionary society of poor German farmers who said, we want to do something to preach the gospel to the rest of the world. And this missionary society purchased a ship. And some farmers, some preachers, some tradesmen climbed on that ship and sailed to the east coast of Africa, aiming to get up near Tanzania, Kenya, Ethiopia. The sultan up there refused them entry, so they settled on the east coast of South Africa, KZN. And they started these mission stations throughout KZN. My great-great-grandparents were on that ship. My mother comes from German, of German, my late mother from German descent. And I never knew the story about how I came to be here until I researched a little bit and, and uh, joined all of the dots. I've been back to Germany a few times, preaching and involved with uh, churches that we partner with there. But every time I fly there, I'm reminded of my forefathers who 170 years ago, with no promise of any return back to their homeland, no cell phone, no um, Skype, WhatsApp, anything, climb on a ship one way for the sake of the gospel. And 170 years later, the oil jar of their faithful, courageous decision is overflowing. I am a direct product of their faith, this lineage that passes down all the way. And here's the thing about faith and courage. You and I have no idea how it will impact our lives and lives beyond us. And every single one of us, every single person here, boy and girl, every single man and woman, your life by itself is insignificant, but in the hands of God becomes the possibility for amazing things, these empty oil jars that God wants to do far more than we could ever imagine, just like for this young lady. Some years ago, two different people in our church had on their hearts to start two different outreaches for the poor. They become, we structured them as two separate NGOs. One is now called Nation Changes. The other one is called City Hope Disaster Relief. At the time, they were named slightly differently. They were funded with money from these people. One lady had a dream in the middle of the night. They wanted to send money to support the uh, tsunami disaster in Indonesia. There was no Christian aid organization doing disaster relief. And in a dream in the night, <coughs> in a dream in the night God says to her, you guys need to start it. They fund it with their own money. Another lady in our church starts a separate organization just to work with schools in the local area. Little by little, these oil jars of faith and courage multiply out until in 20, by 2018, 2019, there are multiple containers behind our church building that it, are, all this good stuff is happening. And then we have another meeting and the request comes, could we have another few containers? And I just envision like this container city, which is... It's hot in summer and it's, and we've got this behind our back wall of our church building, all this vacant space. It was just a dumping ground. 
And so one of the architects says, well, why don't we design something here? And so because of the faith and courage of these people who started these organizations, now they've grown, they're overflowing, we need more space. It was a three-phase plan that the architect comes back with, all of which I felt were important. But then the price tag, after we had it costed, just knocked all the wind out of my sails. The quantity surveyor comes back and says, without excluding professional fees and VAT, it's a 10 million rand build for these distribution centers and the other stuff. Yo. So I went to see Peter Rasmussen, and he, was the, he had all the faith to build our existing buildings. I don't have any pastor who's got more faith for buildings than Peter. And I show him the plan. And I'm expecting him to just go for it. I mean, come on. This is, and he looks at it and he goes, Phew, that's... He gave me honest feedback. He says, don't you want to split it into three phases rather than it would have driven the expenses up quite a lot over, but, you know, smaller amounts. So I said, well, that's why I'm coming to you is to get, he says, yo, that's, that's a big amount of money for this project. Uh, he says, whatever God says, do that. But if he doesn't speak, I'd suggest three phases. That was his. <clears throat> so now I'm every afternoon thinking, uh, walking, praying, and I'm sad to say a lot of my prayers dominate by God. Should we do, what should we do? And I just felt the one afternoon the Holy Spirit cut through all of the clutter in my mind and just asked me a question, do you believe all three of those phases are for the future growth of what I've said to City Hill Church? And with all my heart, I could say, yes, Lord. And I just felt God said to me, don't worry about the money. Build. So we get all these plans passed. And in 2019, we, I, mean, I was listening to... Um, Brain story of all the different bricks, and we designed a whole other clever way of, of helping people track the money as it was coming in. And end of 2019, we start talking to our leaders about it, and January 2020, we announced it to the whole church, guys, we're going to this monster building project. <laughs> and COVID hits. So I thought, well, I might have misheard. I mean, that's just, that will be five years delay at current rate. Guess what? Let me put it, guess which ministries of our church were on steroids, that's just a metaphor, not literally, but during during COVID, both of these organizations. Within the first three months of COVID, 280 tons of physical aid had been delivered by both of them. We were all locked up, sitting at home, truckloads of stuff, our foyers, our church building was being used for all of this aid. By the end of the year, they have done as much good, financially, they have done as much in one year as in their entire history, these two oil jars. And 7.6 million rand has come in that year towards the building project. And most of that time, we were not meeting in person. We weren't able to take up offerings. It just money kept coming in. By November 2021, we had moved into these buildings. They were fully built completely paid for, and in that same calendar year, 2021, the financial, uh, the value of the aid that had gone through those two organizations was 17 million rands worth of aid in previous calendar year, remembering that in Durban we had all the rights and all the flood, I mean, every, lots of people had flooding, but we were severely hit. And the oil jars that were overflowing during that time were what God had put in two people's hearts years before. You have no idea when you say yes to something difficult, but it's a God idea, what oil is going to flow from that. 
Now, there's a little bit of a follow-on to that story because once that project was done, I was so relieved. Like, oh, my word. Yo, Lord, thank you. That was, hey, there's other stuff we've worked much harder at in church with far less result, but that just felt like, that was, the oil just, yo, I'm glad it's done. Building project, quite hard work, and now we can just get back to regular pastoring. And I'm prayer walking the one night, and I feel the Lord remind me of this story. I felt him say to me, there are many more oil jars. That building project was just the start. There's a whole lot more oil jars that I want you to set out. An idea begins to form that had been for many years rolling around in my head is to set up a fund that business people could give equity or donations into and that fund would be self-growing and be able to distribute over time an exponentially increasing amount. As a different idea I've, I've heard of individuals doing it, but nothing like this. And I speak to two or three different business guys and then a fourth guy. Every single one of them, we want in. We want to be part of this dream. We want our businesses to be involved. We have just come to the point of setting it up, and we've been working on it monthly. But what we decided, when we had to come to name it, those guys said to me, what do you want to name it? And I went back to the story. And the word for the oil jars, the Hebrew word is kelim. And so we're calling it the kelim foundation. And I'm telling you a story that's right at the beginning, and I don't know where it's going to go. But what I'm trying to show you is the progression that comes when, a, when individuals hear, there's a God idea, it leads to this, it leads to that, it leads to that, it grows, it grows. It's an exponential increase. I'd like to finish off with this final story. Sometimes, some of the greatest oil jars of faith and courage could just be a single invitation to another person. I mean, talking this, that, or <clears throat> a few years ago, we ran an Alpha course in our church. And on about week five of that Alpha course, I got a message through our office that there was a gentleman who wanted to meet with me. So we arranged to meet at a, one of the coffee tables just before the Sunday service. And I meet a man who tells me that he was born in Egypt. He married a South African woman, so he moved here. His first language is Arabic. He speaks English. But he says he's been a Muslim his entire life. And then he says to me, every time I come to church here, to this Alpha course, it's like my heart is squeezed. And he's a hard exterior man. But as he says that, he starts to cry. And he says, when I go to the mosque on Fridays, my heart isn't squeezed. But when I come here and I hear about Jesus, my heart is squeezed. I need to serve him. He says, Jesus Christ appeared to me in a dream 20 years before in Alexandria in Egypt. But he never knew what to do with Jesus. And for the first time, he knows that he needs to follow Jesus with his whole heart. So then I ask him, how did you come to the Alpha course? Like, just, we haven't had that many Muslims come to Alpha courses. And he tells me he works with a man who's a member of our church who I'd never met before. So I get to meet this man. And he's in his, maybe his late 50s, a very retiring man, quite a quiet man. And so I say to him, how did this happen? So he said, well, I've been in church for a long time, but I've never, ever invited somebody to anything. I've just been too shy. But when I heard about that Alpha course, I thought about my friend at work, and I just said to him, would you like to come? And he said, yes. That Sunday morning, up on the stage, 
Now, we discussed this all beforehand, but at the end of the message where I make the call for salvation, I said, I want to introduce you to a friend of mine, and I introduced this man and his wife to our church, and I tell them the story that I've just told you. And I'm feeling very emotional, and they're crying. And I say, this man wants to today publicly confess his faith in Jesus Christ. Subsequent to that, he has had death threats from other Muslims because he's been so passionate about Jesus Christ. But when I track the story back, what was the catalyst for the change in this man's life that linked back to the dream, etc.? It was one man going back to work with an act of faith and courage saying, I'm just going to extend a single invitation, which I've never done before. You should have seen the beaming smile on his face, seeing what God was able to do. What about you and what about me? We can look backwards and tell stories of last year and the year before of jars of faith and courage. But when God stretches our faith, it's always because he wants to do more with us into the future. And that will look different for every one of us. So it's not you saying, well, I want to copy Steve's story because that's my oil jars. But what about yours? So why don't we stand together? The music team come back up again, please. I said earlier on in the message that my hope was that God would stretch us away from the small-mindedness that so easily gets hold of us. And so what I'd like to invite you to do is right where you're standing is to talk to the God who so easily multiplies oil. It can do anything. And to ask him for his God ideas. See, when it's just our ideas, it becomes very hard work. It's very draining. It's very, but when it's God's ideas, there's a provision that comes with that of grace, etc., etc. And it might be just one small thing he puts in your heart. Uh, and it probably won't be starting a new NGO for most of us, by the way. I just, but one small thing, somebody to befriend, somebody to something, and we follow that. And it multiplies out and then it leads to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. This lady's story, we don't know her name, but we do know about her faith. All these thousands of years later. So why don't we close our eyes together and kind of surrender ourselves to God's big plan and purpose in the world afresh. Maybe you set out some oil jars previously and it hasn't exactly filled the way you thought. Let's recommit ourselves to say, God, I, I'm, I'm, I'm all in. Please give me fresh creativity. It might be a new business opportunity that he drops into your heart. New way of creating employment for other people. people that haven't yet put faith in Christ that you're connected to but you've never done anything with that personal acts of faith and courage personal acts of generosity Father we want to thank you that you are never limited by anything you're not limited by our needs You're not limited by our pain. You're not limited by our backstory. And we pray that you would 
give us fresh faith and courage. Show us which are the next oil jars that we need to be putting out. What's the faith and courage that you're calling us to? It might be keeping on doing what we were doing, but it might be another, another oil jar that we need to open up and set out. And We want to be people that live in faith and courage over and over and over again. Thank you for being the oil multiplying God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Lord. I don't know about you, but I uh, felt my faith so stretched tonight. And uh, I want us just, with those thoughts in mind, Lord, what's, what's that oil jar? We're going to sing a final song, just that beautiful name of Jesus, because that's, that's the oil. And so, Heavenly Father, even as we, as we sing tonight, even as we feel our own vulnerability and our own limitation, Jesus, our eyes are fixed on you. Jesus, won't you birth big, scary plans inside of us? Won't you help us to hear that still, small voice that releases faith and courage inside of us? Jesus, what a beautiful name.